0: The free-for-all roundtable.
1: Round one.
0: And joining me on round one, I'm Jerry Yegar, filling in for John Moore. Uh, Dave Trafford, host and producer of On the Ledge, the Ontario politics podcast. Toronto lawyer Courtney Betty of Betty's Law. Toronto lawyer Suneer Chaudhry, who is the founder of Workley Law. So it's two lawyers and a podcaster, Dave. You better, you better bring it.
2: Dave, here bring. we go. <laughs> Dave, always, Dave always brings his game.
0: All right, good good to know. Uh, tourists may not be able to claim trip cancellations to Jamaica amid violence on the island. I guess what the airlines are saying is, hey, the government is telling you that there's trouble in Jamaica. We're willing to go there and drop you off. But if you decide, after buying a ticket, that you've uh, subsequently learned that it's uh, it's kind of sketchy to go to Jamaica right now, we're not giving you your money back. Are you on the side of the passenger or the airline here, Suneera?
3: Jerry, I think um, this this makes sense because most of these travel insurance policies have, you know, a clause that says known cause, which is if it's in the news, um, we see it on the media a lot that there might be a, a... a real surge in gang violence in, in Jamaica, as the story is pointing out. This isn't a secret. If you're going ahead to book an all-inclusive vacation anyway to then, you know, a few days before, say, oh, no, you know, it's it feels too dangerous now versus a few weeks ago when I booked. Uh, it makes sense to me because, of course, you know, there's going to be a lot of losses there. And I think we should also point out that over COVID, a lot of the airlines did really relax their policies with respect to travel a allowing you to, you know, cancel your your flight if you were sick or felt symptoms. So I do think it's time for the travel in- industry to get back to sort of pre-pandemic rules in some respects, because, of course, this was a rule um, that was in place before the pandemic. I think we've just been enjoying a lot more flexibility when it comes to travel since the pandemic began.
0: Yeah. Well, Dave, the government is saying, you know, be they're not saying don't go to Jamaica. They're saying being be very careful.
1: Yeah, well, and I think the state of emergency, you look at the number of killings over the last year, like 1,420 odd, you know, and, and uh, considering the, the level of violence already, I would be thinking twice about it. Now, whether or not, I think Deb made the point, you know, if I booked this uh, trip, say, a year ago because it was some big deal an anniversary or something like that, you wanted to celebrate, maybe you get some of that money back, but boy, in the recent history, um, you, you know, move on at your own risk for sure.
0: Want to stick up for the passengers, Courtney, or are you with the rest of us here
2: well you know what i i think everyone's now aware there is a challenge um and you know putting it bluntly the government has not been able to handle the crime situation in jamaica and it puts everyone at risk and it's not you know if you're going to mexico or dominican republic and there's challenges there then you know any insurance that you take out where you already know that there's a risk then you've got to address it. Um, But it's just a sad situation of what's going on there in Jamaica. All
0: right. Now, the Eglinton LRT is overdue and more than a billion dollars over cost from the estimates that we were given in the beginning. And Dave, Metrolinx now says, because the CBC and the Star sussed out some of their inside reporting, they won't talk to us. uh, Metrolinx uh, says internally, there's no credible, credible plan to get this finished. Yeah,
1: well, this is where you're going to need the lawyers because all of this is happening behind closed doors with lawyers involved. And that $12.81 billion that they're citing in the CBC and the Star Report this morning, I was at the P3 office, the, the council for P3s, at the time this was all rolling out. And it was deemed to be the largest public-private partnership. It was a $9 billion project. So this thing has really uh, creeped up now. The issue here is whether or not the consortium and Metrolinx are have decided and figured out who, what risk did they buy in this in this package, right? That's what the P3 is all about. You decide that the consortium gets some risk, government gets some risk. At the end of the day, that's where the accountability comes in. Clearly, those risks were never clearly defined because here we are still pushing this date out, and it's not that they don't necessarily have a plan. This is dragging your feet because they're waiting to see who is going to pay for the extra cost. Will it be the consortium or will it be Metrolinx? And to your point, at the end of the day, it's going to be you and me.
0: Yes, that's what I was talking about this morning. It's pretty easy to figure out who's in jeopardy here, Courtney. It's you and me and Sanira and Dave and everybody listening to us.
2: Well, you know, Jerry, i got to put it out just out there. Metrolinks is one of my pet peeves. Um, they've gone into so many communities. They've not approached it. They've never dealt with the local communities. They sort of go in as the You know, the the, the big guy in the block. And if you look at uh, Josh Matlow talked about Eglinton Avenue and all of those things, it's a disaster. They've destroyed communities and destroyed part of our city without actually delivering a transportation system. So, you know, it's also interesting. They mentioned $250 million in claims that have been filed against Metrolinx. And I can understand why. Suneer, I guess it falls to
0: you to defend Metrolinx.
3: I'm not going to do that, Jared. I don't think I'm going to step in there. I mean, to Courtney's point, we just heard a a week or two ago about how Metrolinx is, you know, going to be hoping to take down trees at Osgoode Hall in downtown Toronto. So I absolutely agree that there's not a lot of um, uh, communication with community or even thought into how what Metrolinx is doing will impact community. But to the $260 million in undisputed claims, that's the real issue here. You have um, the builder who has... Two hundred and sixty million in unresolved claims against MetroLink. Of course, this builder is not going to continue to build until that huge price tag is either resolved, settled. There's a payment plan, and frankly, MetroLink's and the government do like nobody knows where this money is coming from. So the delay is just going to continue, and unless that settlement can happen, and of course, we have to think about how the pandemic really played into this because this this, this uh, LRT was supposed to be done in 2020, and then you have COVID hit and. And a lot of COVID relief went all around sort of everywhere. Did any of that COVID relief go to this project to make sure that it got... It- resolved, I think that's going to be you know a major issue here because a a lot of that COVID relief, I don't think, went to this project when maybe it should have.
0: Yeah, but they were an essential business and they were working and so, I you know, I don't want to hear a lot of excuses about COVID, but there's going to be a press conference at 1 o'clock with a couple of councillors at Young and Eglinton. Those councillors are Cole and Matlow and Councillor Cole is going to join me shortly here at about 8.05 so we'll follow up on that story. Gas prices are going in the right directions. Uh, yesterday, it was eight nine. Today, it's supposed to be five nine. Saturday, it will fall another two cents to nine. Um And so, Courtney, are you a guy who watches that and you think, uh, uh-oh, gas prices are going to go up. I'm rushing out to fill my tank. Oh, gas prices are going down further tomorrow. I'll just hold off. Do you pay attention to that?
2: <laughs> well, you know, Jerry, it's kind of interesting. I remember there were individuals that used to drive out to um, Six Nations to fill their tanks up because it was you know, which is out in Hamilton, to fill their tanks up because it was cheaper. So I don't pay really sufficient attention to it. I mean, you, you've got to do it. So it's not something that's uh, that's top of mind. Yeah, but they were getting extra saving by picking up cigarettes as well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> How, so, Sanira, oh, oh, you've got an electric car, so I suppose you don't care about this.
3: I don't care. I don't check. Um, I have no idea. If you were to ask me on any given day what the price of gas is, I would have no clue. I mean, um, I I live in a condo. I mean, and, and for those that... Have electric cars? They might, you know, we have a we have a different issue, which is there's not a lot of infrastructure in the city of Toronto to charge your electric car if you well, don't well, live, well. you know, at home. But <laughs> but my tank of gas is about twenty bucks, so I'm not complaining.
0: All right. Well, then, as an aside, before I get Dave to weigh in on this, scenario, uh do you recognize and would you be okay with eventually what's going to have to happen here is some sort of big tax is going to be applied to electric cars to pay for the road? Because right now it comes from the gas tax.
3: Well, I think, you know, I go to a supercharger. I know that there's a there's a premium that's applied there. We pay subscription fees. Like, I, I, I think that there's a lot of ways for the government to collect a tax from electric car drivers. Maybe they just haven't figured it out yet. But electric car drivers pay a lot for the subscriptions, for, you know, charging at superchargers. There's 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 tons of ways to tax it. I just don't think the government's done it yet.
0: All right, Dave, where are you on all of this? Are you watching closely? <laughs> Lucky that we uh, d- got into the
1: hybrid uh, okay. cars last uh, spring, so as I look at that, you know, buck 36, right now, about a third, just more more than a third of my miles are electric, so that kind of cuts the gas bill down uh, significantly for us. So, yeah, I'm paying attention to it, and I'm thinking, boy, I'm very glad I made that decision.
0: And so I'll ask you the same question then that I asked Sanira. Would you accept that eventually, whether you have a fully electric like she does or a hybrid like you do, um, you're going to have to pay... Uh, Uh, some additional taxes to pay for the roads.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a bigger question around infrastructure, period, just in terms of, you know, the, the effects on the grid, for example. The, what kind of pressures does that put on us when we're talking about, you know, we've we unveiled the Ingersoll plant this week and, and the electric vehicles, etc., and that was all applauded as a great idea. But, you know, seriously, at the other end of it, we need to be uh, making sure that when Scenera plugs her car in, it gets charged so that we do have adequate uh, capacity on the grid. So I think you're right. We're going to have to either reconfigure or reprioritize where we're spending our tax money or somewhere else there's going to have to be another revenue tool to make sure that that's paid for.
0: All right, here's the thing that's going on in Quebec, and I don't know if they would have been able to find a judge to do this in Ontario. Sadly, probably yes. But some families who have their kids playing video games are going to sue the video game maker. Well, I mean, addictive game. Fortnite is what they're saying. Their kids who are in the neighborhood of uh, 12, 13, 14, something like that, are just spending so many hours on Fortnite uh, that it's ruining their schooling and their lives, and they're distancing from the family. And some of them are sneaking in uh, fees that they're paying on Fortnite and running up a bill that the parents have to pay, and now they want to sue the um, the game on this regard. And the judge, amazingly to me, in Quebec said, well, no, no, this is not a frivolous lawsuit, so um, it can go forward. Let's talk to the lawyers here. Courtney Betty, you're a lawyer, and you also have uh, kids who are of an age that they could play video games to me this is just a parenting issue
2: well fortunately they don't I, I think it's really interesting um jerry because first of all it's been certified as a class action which is a really major step in the process secondly you have 350 million players across the world the question is when they build the software did they build a component in the software that would become addictive that's really the issue um, you can do all the other elements, play the game, etc. But it was specifically designed, I think is what the judge is saying or suggesting, at least there's an argument there, to become addictive. And any product that causes harm, there is the p- potential for legal liability. Yeah, unless the government runs
0: it, like alcohol and drugs uh, and gambling. But uh, Sinera, you're now a parent. He uh, He's a little young to be playing video games, but he eventually will. Um, so you think the lawsuit should go forward, or or would you agree with me? Uh, why don't you parent up?
3: No, I disagree with you on this one, Jerry, because especially with the pandemic and where even our schools were instructing kids to go to screens, Um the way screens were used and the and I think there there there's a, a much larger liability there then for any product tailored towards children and young adults. Um, I think if we were talking about children, you know, getting online to gamble, you'd have no problem with um, a class action being certified here. Here, kids are being able to, you know, run up 100, 200, you know, tab or more on their parents' credit cards because they're addicted to a game and to and to buy, you, you know, weapons and what what have you within a game because they're addicted to it. And so, I think that there is a recognized you know, addiction issue when it comes to video games. I think that's going to be the wave of the future. It is the new drug. I mean, we're not, kids are not leaving leaving home anymore.
0: Let me let Dave uh, get 10 seconds here because I am running out of time. I'm starting to feel like fewer lawyers is our best bet, Dave.
1: (laughs) I I think you can have both. I I think it can be a parenting issue because, you know, when they start racking up bills on the credit card, you're not paying attention to that. But there was 7,781 hours of game being played in less than two years. Jerry, that's more than almost a year Almost a year's worth of time. So, half the time the kid was playing. So, to some degree, yeah, mom and dad didn't notice. On the other hand, mm, yeah, there's some indications here that perhaps it is addictive and we need to look at it. So, what's built into the game that's causing the problem?
0: Dave Trafford, Courtney Betty, Sanira Chaudhry. Thanks to all. This is News Talk 1010.